Good evening, everyone. How are you? That made me feel like I was just waking up in the morning. I almost said good morning. Very nice. Hey, if you were not with us last week, welcome back to youth group. <laughs> last, time, last week was like our first service in like 8 billion years or like a month and a half, but it felt like a long time. So if this is your first time back, like welcome back. We've missed you. Real quick, I there's a whole empty row here, which is just so unfortunate. I would love some people to come up. Is there maybe like a, oh, wow, look, look at these dudes running. Look at these men of God. Give it up for them. There we go. Y'all may not have a spot now. They might take up the whole row. Uh, okay, I just made this chaos. Sweet. Everyone wants to sit in the front. That's awesome. If you are in the very back row, can you just move up a little bit? Even if you're like in the one, two, three, fourth row, could you maybe move up? There's just a lot of empty chairs. You guys are far, so it's hard to see you. Yeah, yeah, come on up, come on up, come on up. Thanks, guys. I know it's a little inconvenient. I just want to see you guys nice and close. <clears throat> oh, that's tough. Hey, uh, Victor, can you grab a chair for my man right here? Just pull it up on the end of the row. There we go. No, I don't want to look at this, the whole message. This is going to be weird. Oh, sorry, two chairs. We need two. We need two. Prem's got you too. There we go. There we go. Cool. This is great. All right, hey, if you were here with us last week, you know that we started our series in First Peter. Can you say First Peter? Go ahead and lock in with me. I know I, got, I made you guys move around. Start our series in the book of First Peter. In this series, we see that Peter is writing to, to a group of people called Exiles of the Dispersion. Can you say the dispersion? Sounds like a super sick title, right? Like name of like some like rogue Mandalorians or something. I'm a big Star Wars nerd, so that's what came to mind. But he's writing to Exiles of the Dispersion, these, these dispersed people across modern day Turkey and Asia Minor. And he wrote to these people in the face of persecution. Everyone say persecution. Everyone say persecution. Maybe my left ear doesn't work, but it's quiet over here. I need you guys more. Okay, but in the face of persecution, writing for encouragement in a, in a society where, where Rome did not like Christians. They didn't like Christians. They didn't like what they stood for. They didn't like the, the, the ethics that they stood for. The fact that they stood up and said, no, 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 no. Like, like sex is not something meant to just be used. It's between a husband and a wife. Some of you are like, oh, he just went there. Like, we're like two minutes in. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> but like, oh, like, no, like you can't just use violence and, and you can't just cheat people to get what you want. And Christians would stand against this type of immorality and it would make people really dislike them. Like some of you, oh. Is this me? I don't know if that's me. Uh, but that's what made people really dislike them. So, so Peter's writing for, for encouragement in the face of persecution. And last week we talked about how Jesus is treasure. Can you say Jesus is treasure? Talked about how we can experience true, genuine joy as believers if our joy is found in Jesus. Because he is a treasure that does not fade. He is a hope that does not fade or die. He is on. Ending and, and we have this hope in him when he is our treasure, when he is first. Everyone say first. When he is first. Our God statement today is God is holy. Can you say God is holy? God is holy. And I need everyone to look at me. Everyone look at me. I'm just gonna be honest with you guys on the front end. This is gonna be a strong message. This is gonna be, I'm gonna be using some strong language in this messing, in this message. I'm not, I'm not gonna be cussing. So not that type of strong language. But I mean strong language as in, as in calling you guys to a biblical way of living. You see, if, if you and I, if we open up scripture, we see things in and about living in holiness. Everyone say holiness. 
We, we see instruction about living in holiness, living consecrated. We see phrases like the fear of God. Any of you guys hate that phrase? Like, it's a little, like, uncomfortable. Yeah, like, the fear of God. And when you read these phrases, it's very easy to do two things. A is what the church many years ago, and maybe some churches still do today, is to use those and abuse those phrases, right? To, to scare people into salvation or, or to use it as a means of, like, just do better and get more done. And that's wrong. But in a reaction to that, often what we do as Christians is we kind of, like, throw out phrases about the fear of God no, 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 like, you know, it's like, he's not, like, you shouldn't have any, like, fear, it's okay. Or like, no, 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 like, you, you can live however you want, like, live your truth, do your thing. As long as you have faith, you're good. Anyone ever heard something like that? It's called heresy. But, like, like this, is, this is the world we live in, is, is the reality that, like, we often try to avoid these difficult phrases. And I'm going to be kind of leaning into this today, but before I talk about this, I want to give you guys, I just kind of want to set the context, set the stage for this message, I wanna say a few things that this is not. Everyone say not. Number one, this is not a call for you all to stop being bad people and get your act together. All right, everyone say, look at your neighbor and say, it's not. Look at your other neighbor and say, it's not. So, so this isn't my time to call you out for like the sins I know you guys like be doing like because like as a youth pastor, I hear everything. No, no, like, like it's not my opportunity or my job to like say like you did this, like get your act together and stop sinning. That's not the gospel. So it's, it's not gonna be that number two. This is not gonna be a shame-based message. Someone say it's not. You're absolutely right. It's not. This is not gonna be a shame-based message where I'm trying to put condemnation on you. But let me tell you what, this is. This is a call to living in holiness because it's good. It's beautiful. It's extremely important. And if to do anything less is to actually live unbiblically. Okay, for, for me to get up here and just kind of preach a gospel that does not include you and I having a whole transformation of life and living in holiness, it's not the whole gospel. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be urging you guys to lean in with me. I'm gonna say some things that offend you, which it is what it is. But I'm gonna say some things that offend you, that challenge you, that you may really not like. You may feel like, a, I know that's wrong, but I love that sin. Like that's my favorite sin on earth, like, like gluttony. Like how many of y'all know like that one? That one is fun, right? Like, like, like I'm gonna say some things that might challenge or convict you, but what I'm calling you guys into is living a life of holiness. Say holiness. I also want to invite us into understanding and knowing the fear of God and walking in the fear of God. You see, the fear of God is intense reverence. It's not fear in the sense of it's anxiety-inducing or worry-inducing of like, oh my gosh, I need to hide myself from God like, because I accidentally like, like committed a sin. No, no, no. That's not the fear of God, but it's this intense reverence. Let, let me demonstrate it like this. How many of you guys have ever driven or been in a car with like, like some of us maybe not a great driver, but has driven in, oh, that's, that's not even what I was asking for yet, but you guys just outed all of your parents. You were like, oh, my mom's, no, no, no. But like you've either been driving or been in the car during an intense ice or snowstorm. Anyone ever been there? Ice storm is for you people from the country called Texas. Uh, they're in one right now. But I, like, how many of you guys know, like, there are certain like, types of fear that are actually really good and helpful for us. Such as when it is an absolute blizzard and there's ice all over the roads, like 
like everyone's prefrontal cortex still developing here. So, so for those of you who are wise, you know that like when it's snowing, there's ice on the road, your goal as a driver is not to see how fast you can go zero to 60 in four seconds, right? Like you'll be off the road. Like, like it's not gonna work. I, I, this is a very fitting story. On yesterday, on yesterday, didn't make any sense. Yesterday, I, I was driving, my, my wife and I were driving my mother-in-law to the airport, up to DIA. It was like right at prime time traffic. Any of y'all like can't stand driving to Denver National Airport? Yeah, it's, it's a long drive. But it, it was even longer because the traffic on I-25 was terrible, tons of accidents. So we took an alternate route on like 83, which is all pretty. And then we got to 470. Some of you are like, what is he saying? Noelle's laughing at 470. You know that road. Okay, so like, we're like, we get on 470, and, and so we had, we, we made a few L's. I'm gonna say a few L's, a few L's. Okay, so, so we had a few L's. A, uh, the car we were driving, it's Lindsay's. Not that to blame her, it's our car now because we're married, but it's the car she drives, so Lindsay's car. Anyways, but her car had no windshield wiper fluid, so that's, that's tough, and her windshield wipers are terrible. So like, so we're driving up to Denver, and about 35 minutes outside, like from the airport, like her mom, like in law is in the back. I can feel the stress of like, am I gonna be okay? Like my flight, like is it gonna be okay? Cause like the drive is taking forever. But like we get on like the last 35 minutes of the drive and something starts happening. There's like slush, snow, like everywhere. And as cars are passing us, it's just like blowing all over the car. And like I start to be able to like really like not be able to see much in the windshield. So like any normal driver, like how many of you guys have your license in here? Hallelujah. You know, like if you can't see, what do you do? You put the windshield wipers on. Am I, am I testifying to anyone? Yeah, okay. So you put the windshield wipers on and usually like it clears, right? Like it goes this way, it goes that way. It's like, oh, I can see. But what happened was because her windshield wipers are terrible, windshield wipers go and it's just like makes it worse. So I'm like, oh, that's not good. And I was like, okay, let's, let's try using some windshield wiper fluid. Makes sense, right? So I put it on. I try to put some like windshield wiper fluid on, on, on the, the windshield and nothing comes out. And now I'm like, oh, oh, this is, this is bad. And so I try the windshield again to see if it's gonna work this time. And after this, like, it's like, oh, I, I'm actually having a really hard time seeing the road. Like, it, like everything is a specs on my, on my windshield. And so I drive another minute or two until the point where it's like, I, I literally have to pull over into the shoulder. I cannot see a thing. So, wow, goodness gracious. I don't know what's happening, Josh. So we pull, we pull over, and as we're on the shoulder of the road, which is covered in ice, I was terrified. I was like, go ahead, ice, like, send me back into the road. We get hit by a car. It'd be terrible. So thankfully, it didn't happen. But we get over to the shoulder, and my mom, who is not a, or my mom in law who's not a Coloradan, had like a gallon of water in the back seat, which I find hilarious. Any of y'all that's like not from Colorado, you know, like you move here and it's like, I need four gallons of water every afternoon, you know, it's like terrible. And so she had a gallon of water. So we pour it on the, on the windshield. I'm like with a rag, like wiping off the windshield. Okay, I can see, get back on the road. I'm like speeding at this point, cause it's, I'm not speeding, sorry, that's sin. Uh, I'm driving fast at this point. And as I'm going, then all of a sudden, like two minutes later, I can't see again. And there's a semi passes us and, and slush all over the car. Four times I had to pull over, clear the windshield with water and a rag. And like, I was like, like I had this sense of fear of like, not like anxiety or worry. Like I didn't freak out, thankfully, or else we would have crashed the car. But this sense of like, I need to take this seriously, right? Like I need to be focused. I need to take this seriously. Because if I, if I make a mistake, like, I'm 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 gonna kill my mom-in-law, my wife, and myself. Like it's like I need to focus. I need to pay attention. And the fear of God is like that. It's it's not this sense of terror, the sense of like anxiety, like I need to hide. It's the sense of I need to take this seriously. This is worth something. 
Are you guys tracking with me? Like it's, it's the sense of like, I can't just come into church casually. If, I, if the presence of God is in this room, far be it for me just to come in and be like, I'm just talking to my friends during worship and during the message and texting shoddy and like Snapchatting. Like, no. Every time I say shoddy, it makes you guys laugh. I feel like I say it normal. Anyways, but like, like the reality is like we are called to live with a sense of the weight of God's, of God's holiness, with the fear of of God, so I'm calling you guys to that today. Now, some of you might be asking this question, like, why does holy living matter? Why, why should I live holy? Mateo, I'm saved by grace. We're gonna get to that in a second. But living holy matters. If you need a quick definition, holy simply means set apart, different, or consecrated, okay? The word holy just means set apart. I'm gonna say set apart, different, consecrated. Consecrated is like, like the more religious word where like, you know, something like a specific altar, specific sacrifice will be consecrated for a specific purpose. But to live holy is to live set apart, to live different. And let me tell you when, you, when you and I as believers choose to, to willingly live in sin, when we choose to, to live in a sinful lifestyle and, and live in unholiness, there's three things that happens. Number one, ever say number one? Number one is that it misrepresents the character of God. This is, this is serious. Maybe some of you didn't grow up a Christian and you, and you looked at Christian friends growing up and, and the way that they lived was like, you would watch them say that they were Christian but then go and like tuck behind people's back or like go around and like sleep around with people at their school or like, like they'd go and like live in sin but they would say it's a Christian. You'd say, well, if that's their God, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. Right, like, like when we as Christians, as sons and daughters of God, when we choose to, to willingly live in sin, what it actually does is it misrepresents the character of God we were born to represent. This is a serious thing. Number two, I'm gonna say number two, is that it makes us hypocrites as believers. The, one of the main t- ways we see the word hypocrite appear in the Bible, it's a really fun word. You only see it really in like the church or scripture. It's great. But this word hypocrite, usually Jesus uses this word to describe who? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, these religious people that knew all the laws, that knew all the, the do's and don'ts of the law. They memorized the Torah. They were brilliant people. But you know what they did? They took advantage of people. You know what they did? They cheated people. You know what they did? They lived in complete unrighteousness. They did not honor the Lord whatsoever, but they said that they knew the law. And when we as Christians choose to live in sin, but then call ourselves Christians, we live as hypocrites. And number three, what happens when we as believers live in sin, when we live in blatant, obvious, willing sin, it leads to fracture in our world. Are you guys tracking with me? I want you guys to hear the seriousness of, the seriousness of this. That when you and I sin, when, when we are choosing to live in a sinful lifestyle, it actually like, it hurts the people around you. Like, Some of y'all know, it's like you get angry at mom or dad and all of a sudden it's like, you just like, you hurt your mom or dad. Like, like little sibling may have like irritated you and like you just became like a rage monster, like went whole, like full Hulk mode on them. Some of you guys are like, dang God, God have mercy. Like, like if like, like you know, that affects that relationship. If you, if you're living in sin, even like in like a relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, if you're choosing to live in sin, that is directly affecting them. Sin does not just, affect you, it actually makes the world fracture and break 
around us. So this is something to be taken seriously. Sin is serious. Look at, look at 1 Peter 2, 16 with me. It'll be up on the screen. 1 Peter 2, 16 says this. It says, live as people who are free. Everyone say free. free. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Look at the next passage, Romans 6, 1 through 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Everyone say, by no means. Say that with some attitude. By no means. By no means. How can we who died to sin, sin still live in it? If you are a believer in this room, what Paul is asking in this, in this letter to the Romans is, how do you say that like, oh, well, when I sin, I just get more grace? Like, it's great. How can you keep on willingly, willingly live in sin if you have died to sin? And because of what Christ has done for you, he has transformed you and made you new and he's called you as a new creation. You see, I wanna, I wanna make this clear tonight. Everyone pay attention here. There's a huge difference between struggling in sin, struggling well with sin, and willingly living in a sinful lifestyle, okay? I'm, I'm mostly gonna be talking about kind of like group two tonight. If you are struggling with sin, once again, I want you to hear this is not a shame-based message or a condemnation-based message. It's different to say like, yeah, I'm struggling with this addiction, but like I'm coming to the Lord and asking for help and I, I, I have accountability and my brothers or sisters in Christ are praying for me and I, I came to a mentor and told them like, hey, I'm struggling with this. That is hugely different, completely different than choosing to use grace, to use your freedom as a license to continue on sinning. Are you guys tracking with me? So freedom, freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want. True freedom is found in what Christ has done for us and living in holiness because that is what is best for us and humanity. Amen? Amen. Okay, this is what we're gonna do. I wanna say two more things. I'm gonna read our passage. Uh, these are gonna be on the screen if you're taking notes. I want you guys to hear this. Holiness is not a call to self-help. Everyone say it's not. Holiness is, is not a call to self-help. It's not a call to you being really good at managing your sin, okay? Hear me there, like, it's not just like a get your act together and like, cool, you, you did it. No, no, no. Holiness is not a call to self-help. It is a call to what? To dependence on God. The goal is that as we look at God's holiness, not that our response would not be, okay, I'm gonna do everything I can and try really hard and like self-help. Our response is, God, you are so holy. Would you help me to become holy like you are? God, I know I can't do this by myself. Would you help me? Everyone say dependence. Lead us to dependence on God. Number two, holiness is not. Everyone say it's not. Holiness is not a call to trying really hard. It is a call to remember who we are in Christ. Everyone take a deep breath. Okay, we're good? Are you guys ready? Let's do this. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are so holy. That your holiness is not something that is bad. It's not something that makes you harsh and judgmental. Your holiness is a beautiful thing. And I thank you that you calling us to, to live in holiness as you are holy is an invitation for us to become more like Jesus and to know you more. So I pray for my friends, Lord, that you 
would come, Holy Spirit, and convict us. I thank you that you don't come with a condemning, shame-filled voice pointing fingers, but Lord, that you come with a voice of love. You come with a voice to convict because you want what's best for your kids. So would you allow us to have open ears, open hearts to receive what you're speaking. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen. amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 with me. We're going to start in verse 13. I'm still recovering from being sick. I started feeling it last week, and then I got better. But if I have to blow my nose randomly, don't judge me. I know it's awkward. Just don't make it awkward for me, all right? Here we go. First Peter 1, starting in verse 13. It says, therefore. Everyone say, therefore. therefore. Therefore is everything we talked about last week, what Christ has done for us, that he is our treasure. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope. Everyone say, set your hope. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, if you have your Bible, I want you to underline that word children. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Say all your conduct. Look at your neighbor with some attitude and say all your conduct. Your neighbor might know what you'd be doing. In all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 20, 22, you guys still with me? Here we go. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I'm gonna say pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of imperishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. I love this quote from, from New Testament scholar Karen Jobes as she writes about the book of 1 Peter. This is what she says. It'll be up on the screen. She says, conversion to faith in Jesus Christ is not limited. Everyone say not. Is not limited to one aspect of life. It is an all-encompassing transformation of oneself into a child of God with all the rights, responsibilities, and privileges that Entails. This is what that means. I mean, you don't have to write this all down. You, you can if you want. It's a lot though. But this is all that it means. That it, for Peter, as he writes this letter, his call for the church to be holy, it is entirely based in, rooted in remembering who we are in Christ. Everyone say who we are. So it's entirely based on remembering who we are in Christ. And, and we see throughout the letter that, that, that Peter gives us encouragement of who we are as children of God. And, and as, we, as we read this letter, we see that he calls us to be holy, to live this way, because it's actually the truest thing about who we are. It's like trying to, to be something that you're not is what Peter's going after. He's saying, if you have been saved, then living in unholiness, those things don't make sense. So, so I wanna go through three different kind of identities that, that Peter writes about in his letter. Number one, ever say number one? It's that we are children of God. Look at verse 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, 
you also be holy in all your conduct. This is what he's saying, that because God is our Father, because God is our Father, because of what Jesus has done on the cross by offering himself, giving us the blood of the covenant and and allowing us to be adopted into the family of God, that makes God our Father. And if he is our Father, that means like we are called to be like him. I'll illustrate it like this. How many of you guys have grown up in a family where like having the last name that you have like means something for the way you live? Does that make sense? Make sense? Like it's, it's a good thing. Like, like, okay, I'll give you an example. Growing up like as a member of the Mendoza family, as a member of the Mendoza family, like there were certain things like we were expected to do because we were Mendozas. Like any, any of you guys ever been there? Like because your last name was like, you, well, you better do this. Like it's your last name. Like, like for us, like my mom and dad would like stress over and over, like whenever we come to youth group school, anywhere we went was to look out for the, for the kid that was marginalized. That was kind of on, on the sidelines. That was lonely. That was isolated. And it was like, as a Mendoza, like your like responsibility is to look out for those people which is awesome, 12-year-old me who was sinful. I'm still sinful, but 12-year-old me who was even more sinful, I hope. Like, I hope I've gotten better. But 12-year-old me that was sinful, like, sometimes I didn't like that. Like, mom, like, at youth group would, like, bring, like, someone new over, be like, this is Billy, he just moved from Arkansas, and, like, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be sitting there, like, I hope this kid isn't weird. I want cool friends. Like, like which... It's, it's the fallenness of my heart, sinful condition. But like, like, as a Mendoza, like there was like an implication for how I was supposed to live in the same way, everyone listen, in the same way as children of God, if you are a child of God, it has direct implications for how you're supposed to live everyday life. Are you guys tracking with me? Because you are a son, because you are a daughter of God, you are called to kind of take on that identity and to live in that new identity. You are not slaves to sin anymore. Shh, if you're talking, listen. You're not slaves to sin anymore. You are children of God. So the way that you are called to live is different because of who you are. I'm gonna say who I am. Number two is that we are a kingdom of priests. I'm gonna skip ahead to to 1 Peter 2. We're gonna hit this passage more next week. But 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, may, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want you guys to hear me. What this, what this verse is saying is that we are a kingdom of priests as the people of God. Like don't, don't picture priests like everyone in this room like wearing like black robes and like being like all like monkish. That'd be hilarious. It's a great like image to imagine. But like as, as God's people, we are called the kingdom of priests. Why? Because we have direct access to the throne of God. Everyone listen. Everyone listen. Look at me. If you are in Christ, one of the most amazing things about being a believer in Jesus is that you have direct access to the throne room of God the Father. Like when you pray, he hears you. Like when, when you come to him, when you worship, like he, is, he hears you, he is there with you. In, in the Old Testament, like if you look at like, what, like there's only one person in the whole nation of Israel that would be allowed to come into the, like the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, once a year. Like imagine we only got to come to a youth group once a year. That'd be terrible. I'd be unemployed. Like, like, but, but the reality is like, 
Like it was so, it was so holy. It was so amazing that like coming into the presence of God was the utmost amazing privilege on earth. And friends, hear me. Like I said, I want, I want to have some strong things to say to you. I say this as an older brother in the faith who cares about you. Do not come into this place casual, forgetting that we have the privilege of coming face to face in the presence of God. Like, like 3,000 years ago, like you couldn't like be in the presence of God. Like you couldn't unless you were the high priest, and good for you. But like, like the reality is, is like we as a kingdom of priests, like we are called this because the reality is, is that we, like when we come into this room together, this becomes a temple where there's like a bunch of temples of the Holy Spirit because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. It's like he dwells not just here around us, he dwells inside of us. And so friends, if the Holy Spirit is inside of us, how can we continue living on in deliberate sin and unholiness when the presence of God lives inside of us? Are you guys track with me? Are you guys track with me? Look at, look at 1 Corinthians 6 with me. It's gonna be up on the screen. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple? Everyone say a temple. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. I want that phrase to sing it. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Perhaps you can keep this verse up. I, I love this passage because what, what Paul is saying is that, is that we as believers can't keep on living ordinary life. Like we pray the prayer and, uh, and feel like nothing changes. The reality is like if you have given your life to Jesus, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now let me tell you, being a temple of the Holy Spirit, it's not like you always like just feel like these like huge manifestations like the presence of God is with me. Like it's not always like that. But like the promise of scripture, the promise of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. So when, when you or I choose, everyone listen, when you or I choose to live in sin, our bodies that are bought at a price by God himself so that we could be temples of the Holy Spirit, it's like we're spitting on the blood of Christ. It's like, we're, we're, it's like we're trampling over the blood of Christ on foot, saying like, yeah, yeah, I know you gave your life for me. Like, it's cool, but like, I really want to do this with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, like can, we, can we be real? Like, like no, like, I, like, yeah, I know, like, you know you did all this on the cross. Like, I'll celebrate you at Easter, but like, this test is hard. I want to cheat on my test. I, I, don't, I don't get this homework, so I'm going to just plagiarize. Like, like can, we, can we just make it real in this room tonight? Like, what, like, we face in this room, like, the reality is, like, you are bought at a price, and, and like, everyone, everyone look at me, everyone look at me. Like, the reason why it's important that you are a child of God and that, that you are a kingdom of priests is, like, you are so valuable to God. You're so valuable to him, and you're so valuable to him that he, he gave his life for you. He shed his blood. He bought you with the price of his blood so that he could be with you, so he could live inside of you. And such you wouldn't have to keep on being a slave to sin, which, which actually makes your life terrible. Even if you like enjoy the sin that you have now, like as it leads down the line, it'll lead you to being a slave for the rest of your life. But we see that as a kingdom of priests, we get to come into the presence of God. Number three, I'm say number three. It's that we are exiles. Everyone say exiles. Sounds super weird, but we are exiles and immigrants. Look at verse 17 with me in 1 Peter 1. 
It says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your what? Throughout the time of your exile. Look at, look at 1 Peter 2, 11 with me. It says, oh, sorry. It says, behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Remember, as, as Peter is writing this, he's writing this to the exiles of the dispersion, to people that are dispersed in the, Roman, in the Roman civilization. Let me ask you this. How many of you guys are from another country? Like, you, you did not grow up in America. I know there's a few of you. Yes, awesome. Uh, there's a few. Yeah, J-Lo, I see you, boy. Yeah, yeah. Who, who loves J-Lo over here from Singapore? What a stud. What a stud. <laughs> Ministering during worship. Hallelujah. Like, he's from Singapore. He's awesome. But, like, how, how many of you guys have ever lived in a different country? How about that? Yeah, yeah, okay, a good amount of you. Okay, how many of you guys have ever been to another country? Sweet, okay. So if you, if you check any of those boxes, you know that like when you go to another country, like there's certain things you do and there's certain things you do not do. Are you guys tracking with me? Like, like when you go to another country, another, another culture that's not like America, when you go to another country, like it's very important that you know the customs, the laws, and the policies. Customs, because you can really offend someone. Like if you do something, it's like, oh, I didn't know that was like, like a really bad like hand sign. Like I, I didn't know. Like, or like, or you break the law or policy and like you go to jail. That's also really bad. So like, like, I'm, like I went to the Philippines five or six years ago and, and I quickly learned that you do not shake or, or dap up with anyone with your left hand, okay? If you don't know why, not all countries have toilet paper, and I'll leave it at that, okay? Some of you guys need to get outside America, live some life, okay? Like, like, so, like, if, if you go to dap someone up with your left hand, like, they'd be looking at you like, really? Like, like it's basically the same thing as, like, you're worthless to me, like, you're trash. Like, are, are you guys getting the point? I don't want to have to keep talking about this. Are you guys getting the point? Okay, okay. So like, like when you go to a different country, there's certain things you do and you don't do. Shh, listen, listen, listen. In the same way, Peter addresses the people of God as exiles or immigrants because we as Christians have a citizenship to another country. I wouldn't say citizenship. It's a hard word to say. We have a citizenship to another country, meaning this, that who you are called to be is not it's not based or rooted in like your identity at school. If you're like the athlete or like the smart kid or the musician or like, like that's not who you are. Like not even your, your earthly family, not even that you are like a citizen of the United States. Like, like your identity, your citizenship is to another country called heaven, okay? And because we have a citizenship to another country, what that means is we are called to live out those laws and to live out that type of lifestyle because we ain't from here. Are you guys tracking with me? So, so like as, as citizens of heaven, as exiles on earth, like our very existence as believers is to be exiles in society. Okay, like, like listen to me, listen to me. Like, like some of you guys already feel this where like you go into school and like, you actually having like a sexual ethic like and, like and like boundaries in your relationship, other people look at you and you're, they're like, what? Like just, just go and do what you want, live your life. Or like, like if you like, if you, if you like refuse to plagiarize or cheat, if you, if you refuse to, to, to be violent towards someone or take advantage of someone, like if you, if you refuse to do some of these things, like you are automatically like different than anyone else. And the reality is that our call to holiness is the fact that, hey, 
you are gonna be different on this earth if you are living a biblical life. Like, it's not popular to not just go to addiction when you need something. It's not popular to, to, to find your identity and joy in God, not in popularity or success or your sport or like any of those things. Like, like it's not popular. It makes you kind of in exile. But the reality is, is that our very identity is that we are citizens of heaven. And guess what? This earth will fade. That never. And so when we understand that, that everything here is temporary, that even like if people make fun of you, like guess what, like, that, that's temporary. Like one day that, that'll pass. Like one day like you'll be in heaven living a, a life of holiness with God, getting to see him face to face. See, because of these three things, because we are children of God, kingdom of priests and exiles, because of these three things, we live in holiness as a response to the hope we have in Christ and because it is the only true way of living for who we are in Christ. Look at verse 15 and 16 with me and then we're gonna close and go back into some worship, all right? First Peter 1, 15 says this. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You see, when I look at, when I look at this passage, I actually feel a great sense of hope. Because often when we read about the holiness of God, we kind of have like a negative association, right? Or like we think that his holiness means like he's like, like distant from us. But the reality is like, I can confidently say like, I'm so thankful that our God is holy. Like, I'm glad God ain't like me. Like, he'd be a selfish, messed up, like irritating God. I, I can be irritating. Like, don't want to amen to that. But like, like, like you and I as humans, like guess what, like we are selfish. We, we are prideful, we are self-seeking, we, we are lustful, we, we take advantage of people. Like, you and I as humanity, like, like we fall short, right? And can, we, can we be honest in this room? Like we don't need self-righteous people in this room, like we fall short. But the reality is, everyone listen, everyone listen. Shh. Friends back here in the back row, I need you guys to listen. Listen up, guys. Like the reality is, is that the fact that God is holy is beautiful. Everyone say beautiful. The fact that, that God is holy is actually beautiful because it means that his ways, his thoughts are, are not the same as mine. Meaning that, that he can be perfect and loving and just and good in all of his ways. So when I look at this passage, we don't need to focus on just the, the be holy. If we, so, like so often we read a verse like that and either we try to avoid it or we say, okay, be holy. Like, let's try really hard, like be, be holy. Like stop living in sin, don't do this. And like, don't like, and, and we try to live like, like that. But the reality is it says, be holy as what? As I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. When we look at God's holiness, we see his beauty, which leads me to last thing I want to say. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. It's that God's call for us to live in holiness leads to healing and restoration. Look at 1 Peter 1.22. It says this. Stay locked in with me, guys. It's got a few more minutes having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from pure heart 
since you have been born again. You guys want to know what I have learned in eight months of marriage? Like the number one thing? Some of you guys were like, yeah, what is he going to say? Number one thing I've learned in eight months of marriage. I'm a really selfish person. <laughs> like, it's terrible. Like, like when, I, when I look at like my first eight months of marriage, like, my, like one of my big takeaways, like I love my wife. She's awesome. We, like, marriage is super great. So fun. Some of you guys are like, ew, don't do this whole thing. I'll, I'll stop. Like, marriage is great. But, well, like, if there's like one takeaway I've learned about myself is that I am selfish. Like, I am self-centered. Let, 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 me, let me give you an example. Like, I feel like every, every couple, any married couple in here, I feel like you can attest to this. Like I said, I'm only eight months. I might be totally wrong on this, but eight months in. But like every, I feel like every, every couple, they have like their thing of like, if they're like chilling at, at the crib, just the two of them, like they have this like their thing that they do like when they just want like space and just want to like hang out by themselves. Is that, is that normal, Prem? Yeah, yeah, That's, that makes Prem sad because she always wants to be with Victor. But for other couples, like they enjoy that. So like, so like usually, like this is, this is where I see my depravity come out on full display. Is when like Lindsay, like for me, like I, like I love watching sports. Anyone here like sports? Hallelujah. I love basketball, football, tennis. Like I watch like, any sport that's on. I love it. Even, any, any tennis lovers in here? Come on, shout out to you guys. Tennis players are like real athletes. Look at Rafa Nadal, like crazy. Anyways, anyways, anyways. So like, so I, like, my thing is like, I wanna watch sports, chill. That is like super restful for me, super chill. I love it. But for Lindsay, like, she wants to like take a nice bath and like read a book or like watch a show. Like it's, it's kind of bougie. But like sometimes like she'll come to me like, like hey babe, like I, I, like I know like we're like hanging out tonight. But, like, would you be okay like if I like went and took a bath and like watch a show? And me is like the amazing, incredible, super selfish, like amazing great husband I am it's like yeah babe like get that time that you need like like get some time in prayer like get time alone like totally for sure you know what I'm actually thinking let's go I get to watch two hours of basketball like 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 it's terrible it's like like the reality yeah my boy's like ooh. like the reality is it's like I I can even have like a response that I really do mean from my heart but like there's also this sense of like I'm sinful like I have sinful motives like, like I, I wash the dishes and it's like, I want to serve Lindsay. But like on the inside, it's actually saying like, I really hope she's like really happy about that. And she's like super like, you know, affirming to me and like thanks me for how great of a husband I am because I wash the dishes. Like, like this is what happens inside of me. Anyone else selfish? Is it just me? Okay. Wait, wait for five, 10 years, depending on how old you are when you're married, you'll see your selfishness come out. But like, like I've learned that like my love is so selfish. Me in my own nature, like I am self-centered and, and self-seeking and I, and I want and I, even when I say that I want, I want to give and serve, I still like want things back in return. Like that's, that's like the best of me is like trying to offer like service. But friends, hear me, everyone listen, everyone listen. God's call for us to live in holiness is so beautiful because it leads to healing and restoration. I love, I love what this verse says. It calls us to, to purify your souls by, by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The reality is like we can't do that ourselves. Everyone listen, everyone listen. Like 
you can't love someone with a pure heart, without selfishness. Like, you can't do that perfectly. You're not Jesus. But the reality is, is that when we, when we look at God's holiness, and when we look at the call that he gives us to be holy, it's not a scary, negative, bad thing. It's actually a gift. It's a gift. For us to live a life of freedom, not freedom as a license to continue living in sin and hurting ourselves and other people, a freedom that, that leads us to, to life that is full and abundant and, and actually has pure, true, good, loving relationships and, and is able to behold a God who is so holy. He is so much better than me. This is what it means. It's not a shame-based message. It's not, it's not a call to, to self-help and get your act together, stop sinning. That's, that's not what God calls us into. He calls you into holiness because he cares about you. He values you so much that he became the atoning sacrifice. He, he gave his blood to buy you back. That's why we live in holiness. To say, God, the life you have for me is so much better. So this is what I want us to do. I want everyone to stand up and, and come up front as close as you can and to get on your knees. I'm gonna join you. This is what we're gonna do. I want us to pray this, this prayer of confession together. It'll be up on the screen. It's a prayer that is hundreds of years old. Press, can we get that prayer of confession? It's like the last two slides. That's great too. Looks better than mine. We're gonna pray this prayer all together. You can go back one minute. We're gonna pray this prayer together. And guys, this is what confession is. It is not begging God to forgive you. I need you guys to hear me, okay? Hear me. So often we treat like messages like this, like an, oh my gosh, I'm so messed up. Like I just need to, I really hope God forgives me. Like, no, like, like his forgiveness is like demonstrated by Jesus on the cross. That's how willing he is to forgive you. So when we come to him, we're not begging, but we are coming to him saying, Lord, I, I know I've been living in this, in this sinful way and I don't want to because I know it, that you have so much more for me, that you value me so much more than me. Living in sexual impurity with my boyfriend or girlfriend or going to addiction to try to find where I find myself empty. Cheating and lying and doing those things because I so much more than that's coming to God in humility saying God I need you I need you so we're going to pray this prayer together and then we're going to go into a time of worship I want you guys to, to look closely at the lyrics as they're, as, as they're singing it and for it to be your prayer even right now just close your eyes I want you to just pray the simple prayer to say, Holy Spirit, would you search me? And would you know me? Would you see? 
there's any wrong way in me. Create in me a pure heart. All right, let's go and look up at the screens. Let's pray this together. Let's pray this with sincerity to our Father who hears us. Say this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. Let's worship together, brothers and sisters.